So as we continue the series in the book, book of Luke, again, we're working our way through the gospel. And, and today, as we, as we continue through the summer, uh, we're going to tackle the next two chapters, which is chapters 15 and 16. Uh, now, as we look at this, we've seen these last few weeks, we've heard some very practical and even hard-hitting applications from Jesus. I mean, as, as we're in this section of the gospel where there's all these parables and, and teachings that, that Jesus gives us, and, and you might have noticed and seen, and I've certainly noticed as I've studied them, right, that these parables are building on top of each other. Hey, well, Luke 15 and 16 ends this section of the gospel. In fact, starting in chapter 17, we start in kind of a whole new section of the gospel, kind of a different narrative and teaching, but, and we kind of, Luke kind of leaves some of these parables behind, and, and yet they all culminate into these, you know, 15, like I said, as they continue to build, and then into chapters, chapter 16. And again, these have been some hard-hitting lessons, and, and, and yet today, we'll see even today that Jesus continues with his hard-hitting messages. And, and as, as hard as they are for us to even hear and challenging for us, this, it was especially challenging for the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day because, as we've seen, they have been the topic of a lot of these parables, right? And, and Jesus pokes the bear in a lot of ways. Hey, but again, he doesn't do it to, to call them out or to insult them. He does then to truly convict them to help them change to be better, right? to be to, to better fulfill what God needs them to do in, in their life and in their roles. But they have been the target of a lot of Jesus' teachings, and, and which is still true even in these last two chapters, I mean, Luke 15 and 16. And so I want to start, though, today just looking at just these, these intro verses in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bible with you, that you'd open up with me to Luke chapter 15. Um, and if you're here with us in person and don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. With us online, you can grab your Bible as well. Um, if you don't have one uh, or don't have it with you, you can just follow, listen as I read. But we're going to start here with these first um, three verses in Luke chapter 15. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Right? Notice there's an exclamation point there, right? Even eating with them. And so Jesus told them this story. And now again, I want to, I want to pause there in these first just intro verses, right? That it kind of sets up the stage. And like I said, this has been building through these different parables. And, and now we get to the top of the mountain here in Luke 15 and 16. In fact, as I, as I mentioned, um, these two chapters conclude a very distinct section of the gospel, and there are several stories that all build on top of each other, and again, they all dig and poke at the Pharisees and the religious leaders, um, but they are mainly focusing on their selfish pursuit of money and power instead of building God's kingdom. Right? And that, that's the core issue that Jesus addresses with them over and over and over again. Don't build your kingdom, build God's kingdom. Right? And, and this, again, culminates into chapter 15. And in chapter 15, we have some of the most famous and familiar parables that Jesus ever taught. If you, if you look, look forward, and we're going we're gonna to dive deep into them in this week, but it's the parable of the lost sheep. Okay, which we literally sang about, I mean, in that last song, right? It talks about the parable of the lost sheep. Okay, the, the next one is the parable of the lost coin. And then the last one is the prodigal son. Okay, and we have these three stories, and they're all interconnected. 
Yeah, we're going to look at them today, and, and because, again, just like we've seen Luke do, they're all building on top of each other. Okay, now, we're going to, again, we're going to look at all of chapter 15 today, and we're not going to even touch chapter 16. And now, I encourage you to read 16 this next week. Um, again, take your Bible, read, dive into, there's two main stories in chapter 16, okay, and, and they are also the most difficult stories and difficult parables in probably all of the Gospels. They, and, now, and that's not why we're not touching him today, but the more that I researched and studied and read them this last week, because I was really contemplating, do, do we dive into these? I mean, these are tough stories, right? And, and again, different commentaries and, and Bible scholars are kind of all over the board on what they think, how do we apply them and, and how to explain them and all those kinds of things. And yet the more that I dug deep into those, the more I realized that we cannot even attempt to find the proper interpretation of these two parables in Luke 16 without the foundation of Luke 15. And they are continued to be interconnected, and, and we cannot truly understand what Jesus was getting at in 16 if we don't dive into 15. And so that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to dive into 15. And we're going to dive deep into those, these three familiar stories. And, and, and with that foundation, then, I encourage you to go into 16 on your own, in your own personal study. It, with that said, is if you, if you have questions with it, don't hesitate to ask, okay? Because we can talk through them, and my guess is you'll have questions because they're tough stories. Okay, with that said, we're going to set, again, 16 aside. Okay, our goal for today, again, is to lay that foundation that we need in 15 um, because these stories are familiar and famous for a reason, okay, because they are very foundational to our faith. Okay, so we're going to read the first story. The first one is the story of the lost sheep, and this is in Luke 15, 3 through 7. Um, so again, we'll just pick up here, Luke uh, 15, picking up at verse 3. And it says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that has lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends uh, and, and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Again, the, right, he leaves the 99. He, he looks for the one that is lost. And again, these are... These are parables, right? And they're stories where the characters have represent bigger things. And as we look at the parable of the lost sheep, again, God is the character of the shepherd. And, and now, again, this, this idea, right, of, of a religious leader being a shepherd would have been incredibly offensive to the Pharisees and the religious leaders because shepherds were not high esteemed people in their culture. Right, and for Jesus to put God as the shepherd in the story was scandalous. <laughs> but that's exactly what Jesus did. Right, again, he was continuing to kind of kind of poke at them and trying to get them to understand what he was trying to teach. It was a profession that was typically hired out and had a bad reputation for being lazy and shady people that would do that job. Now, we also look through Scripture and realize that Jesus has a soft spot for shepherds. As we look through the Old Testament and, and a lot of biblical characters, right, a lot of them were shepherds. 
Because if you think about that, right, we have to understand and remember why these religious leaders were upset with Jesus. I mean, that's what sets the stage for these stories, right? They were upset with Jesus because he was hanging out with sinners, right? And Jesus kind of even, again, pokes at them, right, when he puts God in this position of a shepherd. And with that said, we see that the point of the story again comes in Luke 15, verses 6 and 7, right? Where it says, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Yeah, I think this shows us this, a, a very cool, unique picture of the, just the heart of God. Right, of how he wants longingly to restore things that are, that are gone. Right, he, he wants to bring life to things that are dead. He wants to find the lost. Right, how much it breaks the heart of God, right? The fact that we have strayed from his design, strayed from his plan, strayed and even, even unknowingly right, pushed away his love. Right, that God's heart, right, is that he wants the best for all of his creation. And yet we are rebellious. We push him away. And, and so, again, we, we see this, this picture of the heart of God, right, of that, that incredible love, right, that will go stop at nothing to restore us and to find us and to save us. The, the, the next story comes in Luke 15, 8 through 10. And this is slightly less famous um, as the lost sheep, but, but this is the story of the lost coin. Hey, this, again, Jesus picks up here at Luke uh, 15, pick up at verse 8. He says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Again, we see this is a similar story, right? Different contexts, right? Um, instead of sheep, it's coins, right? And yet the same conclusion, right? That, that there is rejoicing over finding what was lost. And yet... We dive a little deeper into the process of finding what's lost here, right? Because Jesus gives three very specific steps that this woman goes through to find the lost coin, right? She lights a lamp, she sweeps the floor, and she searches high and low and very methodically and carefully. She holds nothing back, even though it was not a large amount of money. Okay, even though this is something that some would say, just, just let, forget about it, right? It's fine. And again, this, again, we see the kind of heart of God of saying, no, it's not, it's, not good, it's not fine for even one person to be lost. Every person's worth it. Right? And that, again, is the heart of God, and that is that he wants to save the world. Right? Again, that was the mission he sent Jesus on, Right? And that's exactly what we think about this most famous verse, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Again, what's the mission he sent us as a church on in the Great Commission? He says to go to all nations, the entire world, right? And share the gospel. I mean, that is, again, the heart of God is to save everyone. 
Right? And, and we, we see this, right, that, that God, again, holds nothing back in seeking what is lost. You know, Luke 15, verses 9 and 10, we see this very similar conclusion, right? Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. If one repents, it's worth it. Right? If God can save one, he's happy. There's a party in heaven. Right? Now, as we look at both of these stories, again, and you see these are short stories, right? These are, are very, just a few sentences long and, and yet similar but different. And, and they all end up on, on, at the same conclusion. And that's this, both stories focus on the joy and the celebration over the lost being found. And we've all experienced this at some point in our lives, right? Where there's something that was lost, something that we had no hope about happens, and we get that just rush of emotion, right? And, and joy and celebration, right? When all hope seems lost and then it comes through, right? And, and we, we understand what that joy, right, of celebration. But notice the interesting thing here, though, is it's not only the joy of God, but notice he includes the angels in this party, <laughs> Right? And you see this joy is contagious. There's celebration of those that are connected back to their true family, the family of God. Once again, he's poking at the religious leaders and with this challenging question of, will you celebrate with God or not? Right? What were they upset about? They were upset that, that Jesus was hanging out with people that needed saved. <laughs> right? And he's looking at them and being like, well, aren't you going to join the party? Right? Aren't you going to share in the joy that comes when lost people get found? I mean, he's inviting them into this, this party. Right? This celebration. And, and yet, again, we, how many times do, do we sit back, even, even as the modern day church today, and look at other churches and, and, be, and not join the party in celebration when they're successful, but we instead respond in jealousy? Well, how come their church is growing and ours isn't? Right? How come, how come they'll baptize 50 people when we only did two last year? Right? How come their budget is way bigger than, than ours? Right? We, we get into this, this, this competition right, amidst each other, even amidst the, God's churches, right? and, and yet we're all on the same team. Right? And, and in fact, my hope and prayer is that every Bible-teaching church in our valley is full every single Sunday. Right? Because if you look at the demographics of our valley and the growth and the numbers and uh, just in our metro area of Boise, compared to the number of churches, the reality is that if every church building in our valley that's teaching the truth of God's word was filled to capacity on a Sunday morning, is there would still be the vast majority of our valley not have a place to go. Right? And again, are, are we looking at that, again, as a church, not just us, right, but just in general, we all need each other. We need every Bible-teaching church to be full every Sunday, right, to even make a dent in reaching this community for Christ, right? And that's a challenge to us and to every church, 
Right? But again, it still comes down to our attitude. Are we praying for those churches? Are we encouraging them, right? And, and just like they're praying for us. Because right? we should be. We, we should be happy for those churches, right? When, when we hear that they, they're growing, right? And the, that they're, people are being saved, people are being baptized, people are growing in their faith. Right? And, and again, and, and that, like, we, we, again, have to take the proper perspective. And that's, that's what Jesus is trying to get these religious leaders to understand. And that's what we have to understand too, isn't it? Right? There's this ongoing challenge today. Are we going to be happy when other churches are successful? Right? And this, it ultimately comes down to, do we have a kingdom mindset? Are we building God's kingdom? And is that what we're really about? Or are we about building our own kingdom? Right? Are we about building Oregon Trail? Or are we about building God's kingdom? Right? Are, are we about reaching this community? Or are we about just you know, filling our seats? I mean, look around, right? We need to fill our seats. I mean, there, there's room for more. Right? And, and I don't know about you, but I interact with people every day that desperately need Jesus. Right? And they're not here. Right? So again, I, and, and I'm calling myself out as much as I'm calling you out, right? So why am I upset when somebody goes to Eagle Christian or goes to Canyon Springs or goes to, to Caldwell Calvary Chapel or, or whatever, right? Like, no, I'm, praise God they're in church. Right, and I want all of those churches to be full, as, as full and more full, right, as Oregon Trail. We need each other. We're on the same team. That's a kingdom mindset. And yet, this plays all the way down even to our, ourselves, right? About, about our, again, am I building my kingdom, right, on my, myself, right? Or am I building God's kingdom even in, in my day-to-day life, in my family, right, in, in my job, in my community, right? Am, am I inviting, am I sharing Jesus, am, am I showing the world who he is, right? Or, or is my heart, right, really about building up myself? I literally read in my devotions this morning, right, about the God's light shining into every crevice of my own heart, right, and exposing what's there. Right, do I have a selfish mindset in my own faith? Do I have a selfish mindset in, in even in our own church, right, or, or are we about building God's kingdom? Because we need to be about building God's kingdom. At the core of our sinful nature is selfishness. And a big part of the faith journey is being less selfish as we journey closer to Christ when we transition to more of a kingdom mindset, right, and not a selfish one. Again, I, I once heard a, a mentor say that the, the, the best, most accurate way to, to assess the health of a church is to hear what's being talked about in the foyer after service. Right? And that's again, is, is a probably either a, a, a celebrate point of celebration or a point of conviction, isn't it? <laughs> right? Are we about building the kingdom, reaching out, sharing about, what, taking what we just learned right in church and taking it out for the rest of the week in my own faith and in sharing others, or, or are we talking about something else? Right? The conversations that happen outside of the programs, right, between them, in the parking lot, right, in the foyer, like that, that's the, the most accurate way to assess how healthy a church is. Right? What are the people about? And, and I hope, again, that we as God's church are about his kingdom. Right? About growing in our own faith and about helping others find faith that don't have it. 
right? And as we, as we think about that and, and, and think about even just the weight of these two short stories, right, we, we see the next story, right? And this is a longer story. This is where Jesus dives a little deeper into these concepts. Okay, this is, again, the most famous story out of this entire, out of these three, right? And this is the story of the lost sons. Okay, this is in, in Luke 15, 11 through 32. And before we jump into it, and we're going to jump into it, and we're going to look at it, but before we do that, um, okay, you, you might have, have noticed, right, that the, again, the, the title, right, or the, the topic of this um, is, and the fill-in is the lost sons, right? There's two sons in the story. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's oftentimes we, we know this story, right, as the prodigal son. Right? In fact, the, potentially the, tie, the, the heading in your Bible, the heading in my Bible, literally says the lost son. Right? And we focus on, on the prodigal so much, but there, there's two sons in the story. But it's a, a, we'll get there in a minute. Yeah, like, again, there are two sons. We're, we're talking about. We're going to dive into first, um, yeah, we'll start at verse 11. We see, again, in verse 11, he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. The man had two sons, right? Jesus starts with that from the very beginning. There's two of them. Hey, that's, that's, we, we can't forget that. Hey, then, but I do want to look at the younger son, okay, and the description of the younger son, verses 12 through 24. He says, the younger son told his father, I want to share with you your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Uh, And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him. And kissed him. Now I want to pause in the story again. That's not the whole story, right? And and we understand that. Hey, but again, we, we see where this lost son is, this prodigal. We you know he's he's out while living, and there's this huge dynamics between him and his dad. And in fact, again, there's a lot we can go into in the story, and there's all kinds of dynamics there. And but basically, I mean, he literally came to his dad and be like, "Dad, I wish you were dead because I just want your stuff." Right? And that's pretty harsh. <laughs> And yet, but the dad granted, right? He gave it to him, and then he just left. He pushed him out of his life, and he left. Hey, but then notice, again, the father is always there, right? Again, when he's picking up, again, verse 21, he says, Then his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the, the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and the sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have fattened. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And again, we end up at the same conclusion, right? As we saw in these first two stories, that, that 
there's a heavenly party, right, because of what's going on here. Hey, now, but as we see this, and, and, and there's this turning point in this story, right? And we all have these turning points in our lives, don't we? We all have these, these seasons of, of even our own faith growth where we have those moments of clarity. Okay, and that's what we see happen for this first son, right? In Luke 15, verse 17, it says, When he finally came to his senses, and then he said to himself, and again, I encourage you to underline that phrase, right? And he finally came to his senses. Okay, we've all had these moments in our faith journey, haven't we? Right, where all of a sudden, the, the veil comes off, our eyes are open to what's really happening, and we come to our senses. Right, and we see things from a different perspective. Okay, and this is that moment, right, where, where this, this sun finally understands what's really going on, right? The choice that he's really made, right? How sinful and, 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 and terrible his decisions were, right? When he came to his senses. Now, this is where, though, he works through the stages of repentance. Okay, and that's what we see happen here, right? Is, is he, he's pushed his father away, right? And then he comes to his senses and then he starts to work through these phases of repentance. And I'll say is repentance is what God wants for us, for all of us, is repentance. Okay, repentance though is different than confession. Okay, you can have confession and not have repentance, but you can never have repentance without confession. You know, as we look at these, there are these steps of repentance, right, that this son goes through. And these are the same steps that we need to work through in our own lives when we come to our senses. And it might be coming to your senses about your own salvation, right, and receiving Christ for the first time. It might be coming to your senses about the next phase of your growth or that, that one sin that God's been trying to get out of your life forever that you've been holding on to, right, or even just the fact that, hey, I'm not fulfilling God's mission in the way that I need to as a follower of Jesus, right? But whenever you come to your senses, these are the steps of repentance you go through. The first thing that you need to do is acknowledge the Father's love. And again, this is coming up, right? We've seen this. Like, how much does God love you more than a coin or a sheep or, or even, a, you know, he loves you more than you can imagine. Right? And nothing you can do can change that fact. Acknowledge the Father's love. Because notice, even in this story, when this son left, he was still being pursued by the Father. Right now, he wasn't being physically pursued by the father, but I guarantee you that father was pursuing him, praying for him every day, checking up on him, right? Facebook stalking him probably, right? <laughs> Acknowledge the father's love. Hey, two, is realize the wrong you've done. Come to your senses, right? This, this is the part, right? I mean, you're, again, your eyes are open. You're like, oh, that's what I really did. Right, and it was wrong. Realize the wrong you did. And then the step three is to reestablish communication and confess. Right? This is, again, the confession part. Right? We notice the hard part you know, of confession is to, is to reestablish that connection, right? Because our sin breaks that connection with God. Right? And so we need to reestablish that communication. Right? We've all been there in that place at some point in our life when you're like, I don't even feel like I want to pray. Right? And that's when you sit down and be like, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> right? I'm going to reestablish that communication. I'm going to confess to God where my heart really is. 
Right? And then this is the, the, where confession ends and where repentance picks up. Right? This is the difference. Okay? Step four is that I'm going to move in a new direction. Okay? And not only move in a new direction, but I'm going to follow through with that commitment. Right? Again, what did Jesus tell people when he healed them? He said, leave your life of sin. Sin no more. Right? Move in a new direction. Don't go back to that. Right? Your eyes have now been opened to the, the real cost of your sin, so don't do it again. Right? Don't go back there. Move in a new direction. Follow through. Take whatever step you need. And then the fifth step of repentance is to accept restoration. And quite honestly, this is one of the hardest steps. is <laughs> forgiving yourself. Again, it's, it's an easy concept. An easier concept to think about a God who loves me more than I can imagine him forgiving me, right? Because he'd already paid the price, right? He sent Jesus and he died. I mean, that's what we celebrate in communion today, right? He paid that price. I can, I can accept forgiveness from God, but can I be restored in my own soul? Right? And this, again, is the restored status of the Son, but now, believe, there are still earthly consequences to our decisions, right? And, and you have to work those out, but but yet, again, we got to remember, right, this son, he will not get an inheritance, right? He's already squandered his inheritance, right? That's still an earthly consequence to his decisions. That didn't go away, right? But he was accepted back into the family, right? And there's the younger son, right? And again, that's the one that we kind of focus on. Here's the other son, right? The one that we don't like to focus on in the story, right? And this is verses 25 to 32, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Well, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, and his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. Right, now, when we look and read this, notice literally half of the story is about this older son. <laughs> and when we look at the older son, right, we, we realize that the older brother was just as lost as the younger one. Now, his journey looked different. He was lost in a different way. He never, you know, left the, the, the house, right? He still had his inheritance. I mean, that's exactly what the father said, right? He said, everything I have is yours, Right? But, but yet he was just as lost. His attitude was just as bad. Right? It manifested itself in different ways, but he was just as lost. Luke 15, verse 28. Right? It says, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And so his father came out to him and begged him. Right? The father's pursuing this son as much as he was pursuing the other one. And the father came out to, to shed light on his attitude. Yeah, sure, he never physically left, but his heart was a long way off from where the father's heart is. Right, his heart was lost. And again, he was still stuck in a very selfish mindset, not in a kingdom mindset. 
And the reality is this is why we as the church like to focus on the first son, isn't it? <laughs> right? Because we haven't left. We're here. Right? And yet, this hits pretty close to home for most regular church people. Right? We might be physically present here, but are our hearts here? Are our hearts aligned with the Father? Are, are we again, have a kingdom mindset, right, in the way that Jesus longs for us to have. This is the hard truth, I think, as we look at that. If you really are a son, it will be seen by how you treat your brother. If you're really a part of God's family, right, it will be shown by how we react to those that are lost and those that are walking with us and those that haven't even found Jesus yet. Right? And how we interact with them will show if our heart is aligned with the Father or if it's not. Right? It's not our physical presence in church. Right? It's about your heart and your attitude, right? About even looking at that. In fact, that's exactly what the Father says to him right? in this parable. He says, his Father said, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Notice, right, the father's saying is like, your status has not changed. Right, but the problem is that you're focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on, again, your, yourself. Again, what was his complaint, right? His complaint was, God, you never even did anything like that for me. I mean, just even the small thing, right? Just for me to party with my friends. He was completely focused on himself. But under, I encourage you in this verse, underline, but we had to celebrate. <laughs> we had to celebrate. Right, that's a very different perspective, isn't it? Because he was lost and now he's found. Right, and this is the way that God's kingdom works. Right, we receive love and grace from God, and then we pass that same love and grace onto other people. We have to celebrate. And yet, the way that we treat other people, especially other sons and daughters, right, is, is what's going to define, right, the health of our church. And not, not Oregon Trail, but our church, right, the big C church. Right, that's exactly what Jesus taught, right, 1335 in John. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Right? How we treat each other, how we treat the world, should be the biggest witness towards God's love. And yet we have to honestly sit back and say, is that really true? Is that the way the world sees us? And unfortunately, the, the Christian evangelical church has a better reputation for shooting their wounded than we do right, for, for helping each other. Does that break anybody else's heart? Because it does mine. And it absolutely breaks the Father's heart. Jesus doesn't give us the reaction of the older son. Do you notice he doesn't resolve the story? Right, the prodigal son, his story gets resolved. Right, he gets adopted back into family. Okay, the older son, we don't know how it ends. Jesus leaves it open-ended. When the story ends, the younger brother has a restored relationship with the father and is partying, and the older son doesn't. His connection with the father is still broken. 
Will the older son, the good son, ever repent and repair this broken relationship? Well, we don't know. Because Jesus doesn't resolve it. Again, we know that the Pharisees and the religious leaders wouldn't even acknowledge their errors. And so they just got angrier and angrier. In fact, they got so upset that they literally sent Jesus to the cross. Right? And they, were, they dug in their heels, right? and they continued to push against God's plan, and they sent Jesus to the cross. So what about you? Will you walk through repentance and be restored? No matter which brother you identify with more, no matter where you are on your faith journey, you can be restored to God. Which son are you? Is your connection with the father broken in any way? If it is, and he's restored. If the reality is that most of us can probably identify with both. If we're pretty honest with ourselves. And yet, the point of all of these stories, right, is not to point out how lost we are, because I think we already know that. Right? The point of these stories is to point out how much God loves us. Right, and how much the heart of God is to save the world. I mean, again, it's easy to kind of put that off and say, but what if we took that story and what if we put it in a modern context? Right, and ask that question again, is, is my connection with the Father damaged? You think about that as we watch this short video.
God loves you. He loves you a lot. He loves you so much that one sheet's not enough. Right, and as we think about our own lives and our own faith and lost sons and sheep and coins and heart of the Father, where are you at with God today? Are you about his kingdom? Or are we still about our own? Selfish mindset will affect you in every phase of your faith journey. A kingdom mindset will always help you repair what is broken. Is your relationship with the Father damaged? Again, I have no idea where your faith is at today, where you're at in your journey, whether you've received him as your savior or or you're just stalled in your faith, or you're just celebrating his love today, but I I just hope you'll move forward. Lord God, we thank you for being a good father. God, we thank you for loving us more than we can imagine. God, we thank you, God, for not giving up on us when we push you away. God, I pray this morning, God, that we would find your healing. God, we would find your restoration. God, no matter what we're holding on to, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what victories we have in our life, God, that we would all just turn them to praise. Lord, that we would surrender to your spirit. God, we would live our faith and just, Lord, be transformed by your spirit. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that we would continue to live our faith. God, no matter where we're at in our faith journey, that we would take a step forward. God, that our relationship with you would be completely restored. God, that we would be your church and have a mindset and a heart, God, for your kingdom and not our own. And I pray, God, for your continued guidance, for your leading, for your blessing, for your freedom, for your truth. Lord, God, as we go this week, as we show this world who you are by how we treat each other and how we treat those around us and how we live out our faith every day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us home. Thank you for calling us out when we stray. Thank you for searching for what is lost and bringing life to what is dead. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.